Are you looking to stand out from the saturated market and become the go-to expert so you can influence, impact, and inspire the world? If so, you're in the right place. You see, when I first started out my business, I struggled to help others because I just sound like thousands of other coaches on social media. So I was constantly chasing for more clients and I earned nothing for an entire year. Through my failure, I was sick of chasing and looking up to thought leaders with a huge base of audience and fans. But that was when I realized, in order to have the same leverage as these leaders, I had to first attract my own community. And this led me to grinding sleepless nights over two years to attract over 250,000 followers on my social media accounts. Now, people finally started noticing, recognizing, and paying me. Hence, it is now my mission to help you become the go-to expert in your industry so that you can attract, convert, and scale your clients on social media without ever spending a single cent. Now, this podcast was created for the visionaries, misfits, rebels, and change makers who don't settle for the ordinary and strive for excellence. You are what I call a domain leader, one who continuously dedicates to mastery and is in a relentless pursuit to reinvent your industry. Okay, along the way, I'll interview thought leaders to help you reverse engineer and uncover your true gift of attraction. And I'll also share with you my experience earning and selling well over six figures over three years on social media. If you're looking for my free personal training to get high paying clients on social media without spending a single cent, hop over to strategicattraction.com. My name's Darius and you're listening to Influence to Impact. Alright, what up leaders? My name is Darius, your host of Influence to Impact Show. Today's guest sold his business for $30 million at the age of 33. And this was a business that he scaled up from $0 all the way to Singapore's number one hosting provider with over 35,000 clients and a team of 150. And that company is Vodian. In 2017, Vodian got acquired in the biggest deal there was in Southeast Asia for pure play hosting company. And his company's acquisition shook up his whole identity, especially since the business has been a part of him for 17 years. So ever since, he has gave back by, you know, making a donation to create a scholarship fund for his alma mater with all the amount of cash that he has. <laughs> and he also mentored students and spoke at various events about entrepreneurship and his journey as well. Now, due to this whole event as well, he also got dropped off from materialism after owning a Lamborghini itself, which started his journey in minimalism. And eventually, he sold off all his possessions. And after traveling full-time for a few years, he has now spent his past two years coaching other entrepreneurs on how to super scale like him through his 5E scale engine framework. So introducing to you today's guest, Alvin Pope. Welcome to the show, Alvin. Hey, good to be here. All right. So let's jump in right into the first question itself. What do you think is the definition of being a leader in your business, especially when you have 150 people in your team back then? Wow. I... I see leadership as a responsibility. Man. So especially with a, a growing group of people, um, the role of a leader is ever more important, right? Then, and, and we look at, I, I like looking at uh, alternative cases. So let's say you have a good leader, right? What's the alternative case? Like if the, the good leader isn't around. In that case, usually uh, there's going to be chaos, nothing gets done, nobody knows what's, what's going on. Um, and that's what will happen if you don't uh, be a good leader. And so I see leadership as, as really changing that default messy case 
into something that's not into something that's more organized, more uh, intentional, more uh, productive. That's why I think um, being a good leader is in business, actually in everything. Now it's interesting because I know you have been recently writing up your whole super scaling book, which is gonna allow, gonna launch on seven July. Am I right? Yeah, seven yeah. seven. And so let's talk about, you know, all the systems that you mentioned in the books because there are ma- many, many amazing systems-oriented uh, strategies that you're actually teaching us through the book. Now, what's very fascinating is how you keep on talking about systems again and again, kind of like how it runs your whole life. So it's very interesting. I just want to bring back to like maybe when you're younger or something, like how did you switch up to such a character that's so focused on systems? Like to the point that everything in life is about systems. Like if you read the book, guys, which I highly recommend you can read, even his mindset part has to do with systems. So it's very interesting the way that you think about it, like how everything is about systems. So what do you think like in the past, was it that you think or do that resulted in your business being, or you yourself in your life being so system oriented? That's, that's really, really difficult to answer because to me, that's my norm. That's like who I am like, all the time. And that's one, of the, that's one of the problems when I was considering getting into this whole mentoring and coaching space, I didn't know what my value was. I didn't know what kind of value I would bring to people. I didn't know that my strengths lie, uh, lay in how systematic I was and how I thought about things. Um, it was only recent, like in the last one or maybe two years, one, two years that I discovered this about myself. So I don't really know what point it is in my life that caused me to be this way. I guess this is like my, my natural strength. But I know that as a person, not just in business, but in all aspects of my life, that I like looking at things to be systematic, to be sustainable, to be long-term. I don't like the stuff that happens once and then that's it, right? It's like a fluke or it's like this, this really good period of like uh, great growth and then after that, there's nothing at all. Um, I don't see that being very sustainable. I don't see that being like, uh, life-changing. I like looking at things that are maybe small, incremental, but compounds. And over the long term, you get like massive oversized results. And they, they are there to stay. They are permanent. So that's the kind of thing that I like. And I can see uh, only systems allowing you to do that, not, not anything else. So I guess even when I was growing up, like, I was like rebellious and all that, right? I guess I saw systems as like a way to get free. Like people, people might think that it's, it's so systems, people think uh, are very, it's very, very disciplined. It's a very, yeah, very yeah. Uh, like uh, fixed structure, right? But within that fixed structure, you can really be free. What do I mean? Like, so let's say a daily routine, right? If in a daily routine, you get everything done, you you uh, hydrate, you get your workout, you uh, meditate or do whatever you, you need to do in a day, right? Um, and you spend like, like three hours or whatever doing all of that. Guess what? The rest of the day, you are literally free to do whatever you want. I think that's the way to get freedom. That's a very interesting, interesting perspective that you brought by because people who are rebels usually do what's off the norm, which means you don't stick to the system, you don't stick to like the rules. And sometimes I think people see systems as like something very rigid because I know like for my team as well, sometimes I have to reinforce onto like, oh, okay, let's follow the systems. And sometimes I feel like, is it maybe a bit too rigid for them to go like, oh, okay, you follow the systems again and again. But it's very interesting they brought in the perspective that following the system and, and going through the system itself allows you to free up more time and to create that time 
to be even uh, more free than ever itself. So then my question is like to people who aren't very system oriented like you, right? People who don't really, who can't really resonate with systems because I resonate a lot with systems. That's why I love the book itself. But like, like let's say for some of my team members, they're not exactly very systematic people. How do, we, how do you go about, you know, incul- inculcating into the culture of like, you know, let's follow systems and, and let's uh, build on these systems itself? Yeah. So the, the reason why people don't feel like it's something that they can do is probably because they don't feel like they, that their environment supports it. So um, like, uh, I try to think of examples in like normal life, right? That, that can be a good mirror of this. But I, I would say that if, if every single time in your business, you bring out the need for systems, that you bring out the need to actually get uh, things systemized, people will start having that that mindset. Like it, it's like uh, if you can't fight it, <laughs> uh, join. Uh, you can't fight them, join them, right? So that's what happens, right? If every single meeting or every single discussion, you bring out the fact that you need systems. Have you done your systems? Have you done this? Have you done that? Um, it becomes something that you know everybody needs to do. And the reason why they need to do it is not because you know the 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 leader or the boss or the management you know, wants everybody to do it just because. Um, that's not that's not gonna be that's not gonna work. People are just gonna re- rebel and like not not do things right. No. But if there's a big there's a big, bigger reason, there's a there's a purpose behind it, there's an intent behind it, then it becomes something that people can subscribe to. If you as a creative person, right, uh want to go on a vacation, if you wanna 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 take a break and leave, uh take leave and not be disturbed by phone calls in the office, then you better make sure there'll be systems in place because. Only then can your team member or your, uh, you know, the, the person that's replacing you or you know helping you cover for that for your leave, um, for you and your leave, you know, only then can they figure out what needs to be done without calling you all the time, without emailing you all the time. So, um, the way I see it, systems help you. They don't, they don't, uh, they don't actually like cause you, um pain or anything like that and once you create an environment that everybody can actually like get things done in the system and whether it is whether it's documentation or, or you know uh, making sure processes are followed um, it, it's better for everyone all right man i think those are some awesome tips gonna start talking about systems to my team every single <laughs> Gonna start talking to my team about systems every single week now. Now in yeah. the book, you talk a lot about so providing the service that your customer needs. And I know back then in Vodian, you cared a lot for your customers, especially when the problem that you were solving was customer service, right? And so, how can businesses constantly make sure that they are on the right path of placing their customers at the front? Because I've seen not gonna quote businesses out there, but there are some businesses that think that they are making the right step for the customer, but then the customer doesn't feel that way. And how do we make sure that you know we're constantly on that path itself? Because sometimes we might uh, step out of that line itself. Yeah, so I, I think one of the problems that businesses face as they grow is that the business owner, the entrepreneur who first started the business gets further and further distant away from the actual customer. Um, that happened with me as well. When I was, it was just me and my co-founder, we were like literally the people talking to the customer. So we're definitely getting like first-hand experience. And we knew for sure what the, what the problem were, what kind of pain points the customers have, whether or not they were getting a good experience. You know, all those things were, were utterly clear to us. 
when we started growing though and getting more people on board and our team started expanding, people started taking over functions like customer support, sales, uh, what have you. And as business owners, we start becoming like further and further, more and more distant away from the customer. So much so that sometimes you don't even get to interact with the customer at all. And that, that's quite dangerous because then you don't know what the true customer pains are, what the true customer problems are, and you can't create products, services, or solutions for that. And even if you do, sometimes it might, might be a, pro, a case of putting the, the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse, right? Where you know, you, you're actually creating a solution and then looking for a problem. You're not, you're not looking at a problem and then creating a solution for that. So I think one of the, one of the things that um, I talk about in the book is having a really, really good information flow within the company, not just downwards, but upwards as well. We basically want a, a clear up and down information flow so that we can actually understand what the hell is going on, not just to our customers, but you know, in different departments, up and down the, the hierarchy in the company as well. Um, and then with that, you can really get to have a good pulse, a check on the pulse, of the business, of the customer, of the, the, the problems that you're solving, the value that you're creating, whether or not it's working, whether or not people appreciate it, um, all of that. That's interesting to talk about the up-down flow of communication itself. And since we're on the topic of communication, right, I think sometimes like we as leaders, like what you say in the book, we become bottlenecks. I think that's one of the things that I kind of relate to at one point of time because I felt like, oh crap, I'm the one that's not really moving forward. Now, for leaders that sometimes uh, where they drop the ball occasionally or they didn't do something that well itself, so how do we go about you know, dealing with this in terms of communications with our team in some areas that we screw up in? Uh, bottlenecks in the sense that we don't communicate or like... Uh, my, yeah, so let's take the example of maybe we didn't communicate that well, then because of that, we, are, we become the bottleneck itself. And how do we deal with that then? Yeah, so one of the, one of the reasons why we, I, I have this book is because... Uh, there are actually five principles to scaling up a business. One of the principles, and, and these principles are in order, by the way. The very first principle is all about the entrepreneur, the mindset of the entrepreneur. Sometimes things happen, uh, not because we uh, sometimes are aware of it, or not, not because sometimes we even know that it was caused by ourselves. Uh, because what happens is that we have limiting beliefs. We have frames of mind that, uh, frames of mind that, that, that stop us from doing things or prevent us from doing things. One of it could be, uh, you know, the mindset that, um, <laughs> you know, you don't want to let go of, of tasks. You want to hold on to work because you don't trust people. Yeah, perfectionist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, and that could be a cause of a bottleneck as well. Um, and maybe you, you maybe you didn't clarify expectations, or you assume that people have the same level of experience as you, and therefore uh, you're always constantly being disappointed or dejected or, or or angry at like people's your your team members' performance or productivity, uh, and that that causes a lot of friction, right? So these these are all causes of bottlenecks, and and that's why I cover in the first principle, the principle called evolve. Uh, it really, really covers like why, um, you know, what, what makes us entrepreneurs, what makes us capable to run businesses that are like six, seven, eight, nine figures. Uh, because if we want to run the businesses of that size, we've got to be eight, nine figure entrepreneurs ourselves, right? Our, our mindset, our capabilities have to match that of our business. 
Um, yeah, and so that's why it's one of the first principles that I cover before even looking at the others that affect the business itself. Awesome, man. And since you're on that whole thing about, you know, the identity, because what you're saying is like the identity has to match with where you want to go. And you talk about heavily, uh, you talk heavily about vision in your book, especially getting very clear on where to go so you can direct your team together with it and everyone's on the common mission, common man working towards a common goal. Right, and I think that tons of people, uh, including some of my clients as well, sometimes like they struggle with having that really, really clear, or I would say more like having wanting a perfect vision in their state. Right? And so did you get very clear of your vision when you first started your Vodian or, or was it something you progress on? And how did you really progress the vision? Because I'm sure it's not like, oh, one day suddenly all the, <laughs> the whole vision just got painted out in, in your mind itself, but it's more like a progress. So how did it start? And then how did you progress and tweak along that way? Yeah, it was a, definitely a very iterative process that took many, many months. I think even years. So we... When we first started, my co-founder and I, we knew we wanted to set up a business. And at, back, at a point of time, we were 17-year-old kids. And all that we wanted were, was pocket money, right? And it was either going to, to uh, you know, doing a part-time job or doing this like freelance business that we had. And so that was the only reason why we started. But as the business grew, we realized that what we were doing wasn't just making money. It was actually serving clients. And that, that serving of clients, you know, uh, fixing their problems, solving their needs, that actually really so showed us the importance of what we were doing. It, wasn't, it, was, it was no longer just profits. It was, it was more of duty and responsibility uh, because all these people that we were serving were actually trusting and relying upon us. So I, I think knowing that, that allowed us to really evolve the vision that we had at the start, all that we wanted to do is make sure that we were there for the customers, provide great customer support, but that slowly evolved. Support was just one of the pillars that we needed. In fact, if you think about it, if the company is really very good, you probably wouldn't use, make use of customer support, right? <laughs> so uh, we wanted to focus on other things, other things that will affect the customers directly. Things like speed, right? How fast and what the performance of your accounts are. We wanted to look at stability. You know, making sure that your websites and emails don't go down, right? And we want to look at security as well. People always get hacked, data gets lost. We want to make sure that that, that doesn't happen. Or if that happens, that, that is a, there's a backup that can be retrieved really quickly. So with all these things in place, we now could, we now could have this uh, really comprehensive way of taking care of our customers and providing them with a service that they, are, they absolutely love. So um, that vision that we had really evolved over time, like, like I said, months or years to actually encompass all these points. And, and then we were super clear on what we needed to do. Everything that we did, everything that we did in the company would uh, address one or more of these pillars. And that's how we knew that we were on the right track. So that's why the vision is so important to me. It's like, it's like if you are driving a car and nobody in the car knows where you're going, uh, you're going to have a big problem. You're going to have fights. You're going to have conflict you're going to have a lot of disagreements, you're going to have a lot of questions. So uh, I'd rather have everybody very clear about the vision, absolutely certain of where they're going, uh, even better if they know how they're going and where they're at and all that kind of stuff. Right? Be very transparent, be very, very clear on, on, on communication. Um, yeah, and, and that's, those are the things that I cover in the book. Yeah, I think if those who want to really detail down more of their vision itself can continue reading the book, I got a question, right? Because 
based on vision itself, now it's very clear through this whole interview itself that you're very obsessed with serving your customers at a higher level. But even for your vision that you talked just now, there was no one pillar that was not about the customer itself. Every single one of it was all about the customer. Now, just want to discover a little bit more about how you think about why you come up with such a vision in the first place. So what are some questions that you know you constantly think and ask yourself that will really deepen the impact of our clients? Because I think a lot of us, we constantly think, okay, how, how, can, we, how can we help our clients more? How can we help our clients more? And then we think and think and think. Then we realize that, okay, we create, we create something for them. Then we realize, oh, wait, someone else really has it, right? <laughs> and a lot of us have this test and child error. But what is it that got you to identify these areas like in a way quicker than what I'll say the rest of the competitors in the market? Because you guys became one of the biggest itself. Hey there, I just want to pause here for a second and ask you, what's your biggest takeaway so far? If you've gotten some insights on your life or business, I would hugely appreciate if you review this on the podcast and share it on your Facebook or Instagram stories. Just make sure to tag me at Darius Tan Official and I'll make sure to send you a free gift over to you. Alright, my second is long over, so let's return back to the episode. Yeah, well, it's not complicated. It's, it's all boiling down to you know, what the customer needs and understanding it from their perspective, having that, that empathy to, to look at things from a customer's point of view. Uh, we don't want to, again, be a business that's putting the cart before the horse. We want to just make sure that whatever we do is grounded in reality, is ground, grounded in fundamentals. It's basically stuff that customers are asking for or are needing, right? Uh, Henry Ford was a great example. Uh, if, if like, you know, uh, he, if he just asked the customer, what, what, what do you want, right? The customer would just ask for a faster horse. Horse, yeah. Right? But that's not the point. He understood really what their pain points were, their problems were, which was to get from point A to point B as fast as possible. And because of that, he could create a car. And I think that's something that entrepreneurs need to think about. Like sometimes, what, you didn't understand what the customer's true pain point is. Uh, and then create something uh, out of it. I, I know that uh, uh, it, it's, not, it's not like a, a clear-cut framework, but um, I, I, think, I think entrepreneurs just need to just sit down and, and really consider from their customer's point of view, what is the solution uh, or what is the true uh, service that they are needing? Yeah, I think it's something that we kind of face also sometimes with like people that come to us and then we go like, okay, uh, shouldn't be looking at your competitor solution, but just looking at the market and the audience itself first, right? Because it's all about prioritizing our clients first and like what you say, understanding what's your problem and then where they want to go. Because at the end of the day, if we can get a, a much easier or faster or something that no one has ever seen that allows them to go from A to B, then it will still work, Right. It's, it's like just how you gave a very brilliant example of Henry Ford about if he asked them, then people would just say they want a faster horse. But that's the reason why he created the car in the first place. So talking about, talking about uh, you know, leaders and talking about scaling in this whole picture itself, you went through a ton of awesome strategies and insights in the book. In fact, a lot, <laughs> a lot of strategies in the book itself and detailed down really, really each step that people actually take. Now, let's say if someone were to come to you and they say that, hey, uh, Alvin, I, I want to scale. But what are the first few things that you would actually look at? Right? I mean, out of all the strategies that you actually talk about in the book, but let's say in a real life example, if someone comes to, come to you and they say, hey, uh, let's say it's a coaching or consulting business and they say, I want to scale. 
what's the first few things that you, you actually look at in the business? Uh, one of the frameworks that I use heavily in everything that I do is a results first uh, framework. Uh, I use the waterfall of intent to do this. The waterfall, waterfall of intent basically starts from a result uh, first approach. Like what is it that you're trying to do? Uh, if you're trying to say, if you're saying that you know, you're trying to scale, then that's the end result, right? I want to scale. And then from there, we can understand the steps uh, that can get you there. The problem is most of the time when you say, when people say I want to scale, that's not really the root cause. Um, and, and okay, so what I use is the five whys. The five whys is actually really good for, uh, for everything, actually finding out the root cause, even like what we talked about, the understanding what the customer's true pain point is can be found using the five whys. And the five whys isn't something that I, I came up with. It's something that Toyota came up with. It's uh, based on their Kaizen methodology, understanding you know, the root cause of a problem before you go tackle it. So let me give you an example. Let's say you're running a business right now, you, you have a team of people and like maybe the team of people are a team of developers and they're supposed to deliver a project. Now, for some reason, the project has, uh, has been late, right? It's delivered late. And then you find out it's because of this new developer that did not do his job or caused the project to be late, right? Now that, it can be an end result in itself. And then you penalize the, this new developer who was late. That might not solve the problem. That, because that, not, that, but that, that might not be the root cause. The five why methodology asks uh, a series of five whys to get to the root cause of the problem. So when you have this scenario, maybe you can ask the first why. The first why will probably lead you to, uh, you know, the, the first why is basically why, why was the uh, new developer late, late. right? And that could get you to discover the fact that uh, perhaps he, you know, uh, didn't know how to, how to work the systems in the company, right? Um, and if that's the case, then maybe you could penalize him for not spending enough time training or not spending enough time uh, going through the systems. But if you ask the next why, you realize that he couldn't do that because maybe he had the time to do it, but uh, maybe the training material was incomplete. Right. And then you then and then from there, maybe you could go penalize the guy that created the training material. But if you ask the next why again, uh, maybe you realize that there was nobody assigned to it. Or maybe you realize that the person who was assigned to it left the company and there was no replacement. Right. So every step that you ask that why leads you to a deeper and deeper understanding of what causes the, the problem. And you see, like we we started off with this new developer that joined that, that caused the the, the you know it was late and then caused the whole problem to occur it wasn't really the problem to be solved at all if we stopped there and so and tried solving that by penalizing him or you know doing whatever we we, we wanted to do to, to him um, it wouldn't solve the problem again it would cause the problem to recur again and again and again so I, I think that's the that's the problem that we need to address here um, when people ask questions like, how do I scale? Um, I like to really understand what is it that is happening? What's the context um, and all that? And that's why I have the 5e scale engine. The 5e scale engine really understands things from, from a fundamental level, right? It's everything in place first before you can scale, right? Everything from the entrepreneur, the vision, the, the, the business model, the team, the customer journey, and any inefficiencies that the business operations has. 
Uh, only after that, then can we really understand you know, the problems um, and preventing us to scale. No, now it, now it makes a lot of sense because I was reading your book itself. Then also there was one part where you were talking about um, we always ask ourselves not how do I solve this, but how do we solve it, right? That's how we gain leverage and how we get people solving a problem together. Now that makes a lot of sense together when you combine it with the why because you got to understand the why it didn't work in the first place and then go about asking the how because I think too many people just jump into our problem like what you said. People just go, oh, uh, how, do, how do we solve this? How do we solve this? Because people just want to put out the fire as soon as possible, right? Yeah. So they go, oh, how, how do I solve this? How do we solve it? <laughs> and then everyone all tries to come in and solve and then realize, that, wait, I thought we solved this a few months back. Why is the problem yeah. still there? Yeah, and I realized that that accounted my business like a, a few times now that you mentioned about it. Like this whole thing just clicks because sometimes I rush in too quick into like, okay, let's just solve the problem and then move on because I'm very solution-oriented. So then I realized that we didn't ask the why first before we go in the how. And even if we did ask the why, it was like a one layer of why, right? Instead yeah. of diving deeper, right? And so, so that make that make a lot of sense. <laughs> even yeah. though you also mentioned that in the book, see, this is exactly why you're going to read the book twice. Like his book is really filled with a ton, <laughs> a ton of insights and strategies itself from his 17 years in Vodian itself. And so just want to ask the last few questions itself. I think this is really just based on a leadership and bringing about and leading a team and culture and the customers as well. I think like there are three important components in the business itself, right? Like in terms of the leader, in terms of the team and ultimately the customers itself, right? And what would you say, right, is the worst trait that a leader would have in a business itself before you even talk about the best trait? So the worst trait that a leader would have in a Yeah, a worst trait that a leader would have which will screw over the business by itself. Uh, there are a few things that directly pertain to like company culture and all of that. Um, and that is looking at meaning, mastery, and autonomy. If the leader has any traits that prevents these three things, uh, the business is going to face a big problem because nobody's going to want to stay in the company. Nobody's going to be wanting to perform in the, in the business. Nobody's going to even enjoy themselves there. Um, so I think as long as the, the entrepreneur, the, the leader has any, any trait that prevents this, um, they're going to face a big problem. Um, leaders who don't give credit, who, who steal credit, who uh, prevent their um, employees from, from rising and from being promoted or, or from progressing, uh, from, from being challenged at their work, you know, all that. Uh, will cause big, big problems down the road. That's how I, from, it's basically the alternate case, right? So I make sure that those things don't happen. And from there, I try to create a company culture and a, a system of like management that prevents that. And that's how I create uh, the cycle of good work, which is, which is a company culture that is uh, predicated on the three things that all employees want, meaning mastery and autonomy. Are there these three things that uh, is ingrained in your company culture such that everybody is, able to understand the work that, that they are doing, able to own it, able to train others and you know, get every process documented and at the end of the day, get recognition for everything that they do. So I think once you have that, you get a company culture that's really attractive, that's really nurturing and allows people to really, really do their good work. I think that's something I truly agree because that's one of the first few things that I talk about when someone comes into my team. Uh, meaning is definitely very important because you know the why before even going about talking about the what and the how. Yeah. Right? One tricky thing for me, this is actually based on personal experience for 
those listeners out there. One tricky thing about for me is like in terms of autonomy. Now, I really fully believe in autonomy because I would love people to go out there to experiment, to get creative and to really own their responsibility um, and, and really shine. And so that we can improve all together. It's not just me leading, but everyone is leading their own departments as well. And just based on my own personal experience, because some people won't be used to having the freedom of ownership and responsibility in the team. It's like, in a way, they are not really trained to think like, oh, okay, how do I improve it? I, I'm not sure if you, I'm not sure if I'm getting this question correctly. La. But basically, like, um, there are some people who aren't really trained because all the while since young, they're always trained like, okay, let's follow, let's follow, follow. So all the while, they're just following and following and following. And then now that they're placed in this position of autonomy where they go, um, you need the freedom of ownership to really raise the level, right? How do we assimilate them in and then make sure that they actually uh, fulfill or maximize that use of autonomy? Because to me, sometimes it's a little bit hard because I go like, okay, uh, so you know what's your responsibility, right? You know what's your end in mind. So how I, do, how I approach this, right, is I go, uh, you know what's the responsibility? What's the end in mind for that? So always start with the end in mind because vision is very important itself. And then sometimes like along the way, then they start to forget what the end in mind is because they're just not that used to it itself, even though I keep repeating again and again. So how would you, you know, go about assimilating these people in and make sure they try for your autonomy? Because I don't want to just cast it out as, oh, these people aren't, can't be leaders itself. Right? Then yeah. there will just be me being a bad leader, not grooming other leaders. Yeah, yeah. Well, well we, you've, you've really answered it. The process of grooming uh, is not an overnight a flip of the switch kind of thing. It's a progressive uh, process, which is why, again, the three things are meaning, mastery, and autonomy. Uh, mastery is a process that takes yes. time. Uh, I, 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 I don't want to say years, but I, I would say time, take time. Um, the idea is to break things down into smaller chunks, into smaller bite-sized pieces, even autonomy. We can't just give autonomy around and like hope people like just embrace it and fully make use of it we have to give like um smaller bite-sized chunks for example if somebody new comes on board we give them a small project first right and can see and see if they can handle that if they can great give them a slightly bigger project if they can't we find out why you know find out whether it's a lack of uh information whether it's uh maybe a lack of support maybe it's it's Maybe it's, maybe it's them, they don't know how to do it. And then maybe it's the lack of training. So whatever it is, it allows them to progress. Same thing with autonomy. We give them autonomy, meaning that we give them the space in which they can perform, but we don't give them a whole farm. We give them a little like small area and then they can like run around trying to, trying to you know, complete their tasks. And uh, the more important thing is not to micromanage. I think. I think that's something that nobody enjoys. As a kid, I hated being like, you know, having my parents or my teachers or anybody like breathing down my neck. Um, I like to have the space, right? If you give me something to do, like homework or assignment, like give me a few, few, few days, right? Give me some time to do it. At the end of it, if I, if I can't perform, if I can't do it, then let's, let's review it and see how I can better do it next time, right? Uh, but in that, in that space, uh, if, you, if you tell me to do it, then just give me the, the, the time and space to actually complete the task. Um, that's how you can assign autonomy or provide autonomy also. Once that's done, then you can start increasing that area that they are in, right? And so they get more and more autonomy doing the things that, that you know, that everybody knows that they can do. Um, and that just grows. Whether it's autonomy or mastery. I think that really put in perspective because I think 
Maybe I, I, I'm not going to say baby. I definitely, I think I definitely because I gave them too big of, like what you say, that farm, like the farm analogy got to me, right? Like giving that too big of a farm and then you go like, oh shit, now <laughs> yeah. I'm going to use a lot of time to go through this farm rather than breaking down it into like smaller first before feeding them even more. So instead of pushing them to like a super high position, I, I, I didn't really like had that progressiveness, right? Which has to do with mastery as well. Now, now, now that makes a lot of sense to sell yeah. and where, where I made that mistake itself. Now, interesting. So let's talk about more of the, the traits of leaders as well, because I think a lot of people would like to hear about um, what would you say is like your opinions in terms of like what are best leadership traits and things like that. So what would you say are like the top three traits or values a leader will have? Well, uh, it's always based on the alternate case, right? So I like to have leaders that are communicative, they are transparent, that will give recognition freely um, and are empathetic. I think those are traits that, you know, um, that can, can help leaders a lot because when you are managing others, uh, it's really based on uh, communication. It's really based on, you know, personnel development. And, you know, having all these traits, I think, really helps somebody uh, progress as a leader. It's very interesting you talk about, like, uh, transparency, communication, empathy. It's a lot of centering around the word. Like you say, it's communication. It's a lot of centering communication based on whether mistakes are made or whether is it uh, something screws up or maybe something's done well as well. And then to give that recognition because uh, the whole company itself is very, very transparent. Now, for those that, you know, uh, because I do know some people, including me as well, actually, last time, I think some of us aren't that uh, open to sharing, like, what kind of thoughts or emotions that we have as leaders. And people always talk about, oh, you know, uh, in a company, you want to be vulnerable, I guess that's the word you say, like, to really just share whatever it is uh, that you have. Now, for these people who aren't very used to, I'm very, I'm very used to sharing their feelings or their thoughts and then like just portraying or, or to be vulnerable and to be radically transparent. That's probably the word, radically transparent. Then what would you say, uh, what would you advise to these people for those that find it a bit hard to open up? Well, I, I don't think they, they need to be vulnerable uh, or in that manner. Like I think transparency uh, for, for me, what I mean is, is being clear on... Um, expectations and assumptions. Um, I think clarity of expectations is something that really uh, causes a lot of people to stumble. Um, for example, and this happens everywhere. So for example, if, if uh, a newcomer comes on board and say joins our company, we have the expectation that they are of a certain standard. We have the expectation because we're kind of projecting what we are, all our experiences, our knowledge, our wisdom, our like, whatever in us to another person, right? But this person who joins us could, could be and, and usually is somebody that's actually a lot newer and somebody who doesn't have the experience and is going to be a totally different person. And so there's bound to be conflict. That, this is where transparency comes in. This is where uh, communication comes in. This is where you sit down and you actually talk about what expectations you have, what expectations the business has and what expectations the other person has the the employee has and try to see if there's a match you know once you find something that you know you can work on even as something as a simple as a project uh, then you can then you can actually proceed without having like that much conflict or disagreement or, or, or disappointment 
right? If you say, hey, uh, okay, your first project is to maybe create an uh, Instagram post every single day. And then you have this idea of an Instagram post and how it's supposed to look like with all the brand colors and all that. But that guy has zero clue, right? He, all that he hear, hears is Instagram posts and he has to go figure it out on his, on, on his own, right? The next day, he's going to come out with an Instagram post and I can guarantee you almost 100% of the time, it's going to be completely different from what you expected. Uh, and then suddenly there's a disagreement. You think that guy's an idiot and you know that, that, that process just completely uh, flops. Um, a much better way is to sit down and to actually talk about you know everything, right? What what do you expect? What kind of what kind of tonality? What kind of uh, any references that you have that that kind of like showcase what you expect of an Instagram post? Um, you know, once that's done, the next day something that comes out is more likely than not going to be something that's closer to what you expect. And I'm I'm only raising Instagram posts because I know you're like uh, really big on social media. But this is the same case for anything that we do in our work. Like literally anything. It could be from marketing to programming to designing to, to logistics, um, anything. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's a very great point that you brought about because I feel like I make that mistake as well of, you know, dropping uh, a ton, not, not dropping expectations, but have projecting a ton of expectations on someone when maybe like my SOPs or my processes aren't that clear yet. Then yeah. I realized that most of the time, it actually still boils back down to me. Like yeah. in terms of maybe there are some processes that I didn't get clear of, like what you said, some of them weren't that transparent. That's why you said there's a need to be very, very, very transparent and very clear of what's needed. And maybe sometimes like, oh, maybe the SOP, there was something wrong itself. And then uh, maybe it was made by someone else and things like that. But I realized a lot of the problems in business actually just stems back to the leader. <laughs> a lot, a lot like, like what you say in the book, like the whole bottleneck itself is most likely us. Right? And I find it very true because a lot of mistakes that our team makes or people that learn from us makes is most likely because of how we eat, because of how we go about in our daily life, about how we show up and every single thing that we do. That's why I talk about that whole identity. And now this really just uh, kind of joins in the whole big picture together in this podcast itself. And just before I ask my last question, just want to ask you, you know, how do people go about connecting and learning more from you? And maybe talk a little bit about where they can get the book from. Uh-huh, speaking of the book, uh-huh, I got a book printed. Uh, it's now sitting in my living room, so I'm super excited. Uh, it's just, yes, it's beautiful. Like this is the first time I'm like touching it, right? After working on it for months. And it's gorgeous. Like it's it's over 200 pages of printed, like on, on really like cream paper. And it's awesome, man. Like it, it even has a glossy finish. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so... Uh, this is the book that you know contains all my knowledge on scaling up. People have been asking me, you know, how do I stop wasting my time? How do I work on my business instead of in my business? How do I attract, retain A players on my team? How do I acquire customers, retain customers, get them to renew, get them to refer? All these things are all stuff that I cover in the book. So uh, I'm super excited about it. This can be found on uh, my website, superscaling.com. Um, yeah, so that's the best place to connect with me as well. I'm also on social media, like huge on Instagram, Facebook. So everybody can find me there as well. Uh, drop me a message to connect. Yeah, we'll drop all the links below as well for you guys to go and visit and go and check out the amazing book. Once again, uh, honest truth, I read a lot of books like Scaling Up, Traction. I think you've heard this uh very common books, or I'll say the most fundamental books that uh, others have written itself. And I think what Alvin has created is 
like I'll say the compilation of knowledge that I would have gotten from traction, from scaling up and from multiple scaling books, plus his own like additional magic touch <laughs> when it comes to really talking about, I think very importantly, I think one thing you really cover is um, a lot more of the thought processes that goes behind systems. And I think books like Traction, books like Scaling Up, they, they do talk a lot about mindset because at the end of the day, like what, what we say, right? Most of the problems come from the bottleneck of the business, which is the leader. But I think what you really gave is really a set of like how-tos in that sense as well. It's like what to go about uh, doing in order to solve that. And so then it becomes very, very practical, which I know you're a very practical person as well. <laughs> and I thoroughly enjoy it because I'm super practical as well. And I got a ton to implement after that in fact uh, one of the first things that i can remember I, I read it i was like oh shit i have to stop using the word how do i because a lot of times i tell my team itself like okay one of the most common questions that we ask in fact this was like in our team in our team sheet itself and then i change it immediately was always asked like okay how do i solve it and then if, <laughs> if if you don't know how to solve it then go and ask someone else and i was thinking okay instead of how do i solve it why not just straight away ask how do we solve it then i don't have to have another layer of communication itself so honest truth i will save you a lot a lot of time on this kind of small mistakes because if i were to add up all the mistakes made right i would save a, a crap ton of time like maybe a few hours every single week if i just optimize everything or at one go right so uh once again all the links are in the, the down below in whether is it if you're watching YouTube or whether is it podcast, it's the links that will be there. Okay. So just want to ask the last question to Elvin that is always pertaining to the title of the whole podcast show, which is how do you define influence? How do you define influence? Oh wow. Uh, I think influence basically talks about the difference that you can make to others. Uh, influence being influencing people's decisions, their thoughts, their opinions. Uh, and, and therefore, there's a lot of power in that because you can either sway positively or negatively. Um, yeah, I guess that's my definition. of very, Once again, very practical, <laughs> very <laughs> practical definition of what influence is. And just one last question itself is, what would you say to people uh, that will allow them to massively increase their influence uh, to the people around them itself? Um, I think they've got to be a lighthouse, a, a projector of whatever values, whatever vision they have. And, and that means they have to be absolutely clear about what, what those things are um, before you can even amplify them. So um, it all starts from within. Uh, I, I honestly believe that everything that we do stems from like our thoughts, our mindsets, what drives us, our innate intrinsic motivations. Uh, once we get a super clear idea of what that is, then we can go project whatever we want out in the world. And hopefully that's a positive thing. Awesome, man. Really love uh, those last words over there. So with that, guys, uh, do remember to go and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't or subscribe to YouTube if you're listening to this on YouTube. Right, leave a like button. And once again, please go and follow Elvin or follow me as well. I, I think ultimately go and follow Elvin because he's got a ton of strategies out there to offer you. So with that, uh, keep staying real, guys, and keep leading. <laughs>